Have you heard the adage that a good offense is a good defense? Well, thanks to shield counters, that is true. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And so this episode is going to be a little bit different. We're actually kind of winging it a little bit with our uh, show notes. Podcast pros. Uh, Just because there's... uh, Well, before I get ahead of myself... Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to give us your reaction or experiences with the newest set, uh, Streets of New Capenna, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also do so on Facebook and Twitter by using the handle at mtgunderthehood. All right. So, as I was saying, we're going a little off script with this episode. Um, we aren't going to do any of our decks that we've been working on, um... And we are just going to kind of talk about our experiences with a pre-release um, that happened this past weekend for Streets of New Capenna. And we're also going to talk about uh, the new shield counters uh, mechanic um, that was debuted. And let's just knock the rules out real quick with shield counters. And then... Well, do you want to talk about our, our thoughts on New Capenna or, or as a whole? Or do you want to do the, the shield counters thing first? Eh, well, my experience is kind of inner, uh, interwoven around it. All right. Yeah, kind of woven around it. Okay, let's talk about shield counters. So shield counters are a new mechanic that came around from uh, Streets in New Capenna, and it is centered in the Bant or Brokers color scheme, green, white, and blue. The rules are rather simple. It's from, uh, from the comprehensive rules 122.1c. A shield counter on a permanent creates one replacement effect and one prevention effect that protect the permanent. These effects are, if this permanent would be destroyed as a result of an effect, instead remove a shield counter from it. And, if damage would be dealt to this permanent, prevent that damage and remove a shield counter from it. You can also see rule 614 on replacement effects and rule 615 on prevention effects. Now, a couple things that you need to know about shield counters in particular. Number one, for each instance of damage, you remove only a single shield counter. You are not going to remove all of the shield counters if you end up with multiple shield counters on permanent. Shield counters don't prevent players from sacrificing creatures. You can still have to do that. Removing a shield counter is not the same as regenerating a creature. And if a permanent that would be dealt damage has more than one shield counter on it, that damage is prevented, and again, only one shield counter is removed. Shield counters won't work if the damage is unpreventable. So there is one red card from Streets of New Capenna that says this damage cannot be prevented. If that is the case, you cannot prevent the damage, and yet a shield counter will still be removed. Alright, from that creature, because a damage event did occur. A creature with a shield counter on it may still be destroyed by state-based actions. So keep that in mind. If you get negative counters that reduce, or your creature gets minus something, minus whatever, that reduces its toughness to zero, that is still, based off of state-based actions, a creature that has to be put in the graveyard and a shield counter will not save you from it. And finally, shield is not an ability that creatures have, and shield counters are not keyword counters, so keep that in mind. Um, If a creature with a shield counter on loses its abilities, the shield counter will still protect it as normal. And this actually did come into rather important play when we were looking at pre-release. Somebody gave my, uh, what's the, the witness, the... Protected witness or something like that. It's the blue enchantment that turns it into a 1-1 legitimate business person with no abilities or anything like that. But it still had the shield counter on it, and that mattered. So a lot of things to look at. Again, shield counters are really interesting and a lot of fun. Just make sure you keep them in mind. They do have a lot of extra information that goes along with them. we got a bunch of featured cards that work with shield counters. Chris, do you have a favorite Oh, I definitely do, and it was one that definitely put in some work for me over the uh, over pre-release, and I believe it's a uncommon. Where are you? Uh, there, and it's uh, the card is Disciple Duelist. Its mana cost is a green, a white, and a blue. It's a creature, human citizen. It's a two-one. Has double strike, and Disciple Duelist enters the battlefield with a shield counter on it. Um. 
This one put in a lot of work for me. I'm sad I only pulled one, but every time that it hit the battlefield, it definitely did its work with it being double strike and everything and being able to protect it by having that baked in protection. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like now I'm used to playing in brokers band and these this color shard. Um, I'm used to playing it and I'm used to playing very defensively. This is these are the exact colors that my uh, Arcades decks are both my commander and my modern. And so I are I went in knowing that I wanted to play brokers because yeah. Shield counters were in that one, and I'm used to very, I'm very used to and very comfortable playing very defensive decks mm -hmm. and being able to have explosive turns. And this one just was beautiful in it. It was, um, like the, the shield counters alone is what I fell in love, why I fell in love with that family. But the Disciple Duelist definitely put in work just by being double striker and it's not so much evasive as it just sticks around yeah it like, really does that's the thing with all the shield counters with shield counters in general is your opponent has to work twice as hard to get rid of it absolutely um another one of my favorites was um titan of industry for and it's a creature elemental it's mana cost is four generic green 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 it's a 7-7 seven, seven with Reach, Trample, and when Titan of Industry enters the battlefield, choose two. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a 4-4 four, four green rhino warrior creature token and put a shield counter on a creature you control. So that one, I think of all the games I played, I think I was able to play him like two or three times. And as soon as he hit the field, it was, all right, do you have... Now, I might have misplayed it a little bit because it says choose two. It does say choose two. And it doesn't say you can choose multiple ones. Uh, typically, typically the way it works is you have to choose two different abilities unless it specifically states you can choose the same one multiple times. Okay, so, I'm, yeah. so I misplayed it a couple of times, but I because it was... It's the same idea as with targets. If it has... Um, you have to choose three target creatures, then you have to choose three different target creatures. Mm -hmm. But if it's target creature gets this, target creature gets this, target creature gets this, then you can choose the same creature three times. Yeah. All right. So, but I mean, even, you know, even the last one where it's put a shield counter on a creature you control, you can target t Titan of Industry with its own ability. Yep. And so... <laughs> yeah, you can. There was one time where I went, okay... Um, I'm going to create a Rhino Warrior, and I'm going to put a shield counter on my Titan. And a 7-7 seven, seven with Reach, Trample, and a shield counter. That is difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. Incredibly difficult to overcome. All right, Joe, what about yours? Well, I, the Discipline Duelist was also one of my favorites. I played the Brokers family the second night of pre-release. I happened to pull, pull two Discipline Duelists. Which, which, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Two compared to one, because they're just so low to the ground. You can get them out real quick. They're fantastic cards, and we'll talk about it. But, I mean, no difficulty getting three different colors of mana out there. It's ridiculous. Uh, but I think another one that I really liked with, with the shield counter, um, I liked Voice of the Vermin. Mm. Voice of the Vermin is a... It's a 2-2 human citizen for three generic and a green. It ETBs with a shield counter on it. And then whenever Voice of the Vermin attacks, target creature you control has base power and toughness 4-4 until end of turn. So it doesn't say another target creature. So if Voice of the Vermin is your only creature out, you're swinging with a 4-4 with a shield counter on it. And it starts off as a 2-2. Now, yes, on defense it's a 2-2. But even still, if you get in... Two attacks where you're able to turn something else into a 4-4, that's great. You, you really can't beat. Another one of my favorites is Rock's Pummeler. So, yep, I remember <laughs> that one. Rock's Pummeler is a Rhino Soldier, 6-3, for five generic and a green. Now, it entered the battlefield with a shield counter on it, and as long as it has a shield counter on it, it has trample. Now, really, 
I played this both nights, Friday and Saturday. On Saturday, it was just a big beater. And again, being able to have a 6-3 with Trample, they can just get in there and smack for a bunch of damage without too much difficulty. And then after you've dealt with, after they've had to deal with its shield counter, it's still a 6-3 that can basically eat just about any creature they throw at you. Great card. On Friday night, I was playing Jund colors though, black, red, and green. And I put the Pummeler in the deck solely because I managed to pull Obnixilis, the Planeswalker. And we'll, we'll talk about casualty in a future episode, but it Obnixilis had casualty X. And so if I sacrificed Obnixil, a creature when I cast Obnixilis, I made a copy of the Planeswalker where X is the creature that I sacrificed power and it comes in with X loyalty counters. So I would put the Rock's Pummeler into play. Next turn, cast Obnixilis. I was getting the original that was a, had three loyalty and the copy that had six. You know, so yep, you did that to me. I did. I think I did. I did that to a couple people. Yeah, that you night. definitely did it yeah. to me. And that and was the, game two. The Rock's Pummeler. It it served. It was a massive defensive body. It had a shield counter on it, so you had to kill it twice in mm. order to actually get rid of it. And then, if that's the case, well, I either made you waste a destruction spell, or I ate two of your creatures for one of mine. I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that trade. You know, and at the end of the day, if it really does live, I get a massive planeswalker. I'll take that trade. So, yeah, there were a lot of great cards that I really like with shield counters. All right, I have two more. Okay. All right, the first one is Undercover Operative. Uh, it's a shapeshifter rogue. Its mana value is... Uh, Two generic, blue-blue, it's a zero-zero, and you may have Undercover Operative enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with a shield counter on it if you control that creature. Um, I had the Defender. Uh, I had the Defender creature where he can attack as though he doesn't have Defender if there's two or more counters on creatures that you control. Oh, okay. So I would use Undercover Operative targeting him so he would get a shield counter, and then somehow, some way. Right, with get the deck that counter, I built, yeah. I could get another counter out, and I have, uh, I think it went like turn three, I would drop the defender, turn four, uh, undercover operative, and if I have mm -hmm. a little bit of extra mana or something, or I already have a creature with another shield counter on it, awesome. I now have like six power on the board right. that have shield counters. Um, My other one, which was actually saved me a couple of times. I agree. Boon of Safety. It's an instant for white, and... Uh, it has put a shield counter on target creature, scry one. Um, that one uh, was, there was one t one instance where um, I was swinging in, for, swinging in for damage. He didn't have any blockers, but he, ca but he pretty much cast a burn spell on it. And I was like, all right, uh, pass priority. He's like, yeah. It's like, all right, tap of white, boon of safety. Exactly. And you, so you got a shield counter on it, you're saving your creature, and you get to scry one. Yeah, so how and how that stack how the stack worked at that mm -hmm. point was boon of safety resolves first, shield counter goes on, I scry, it was a land, pitched it to the bottom. And then after that resolved, his burn spell came in, hit the shield counter, I lost the shield counter immediately, but my creature stayed. Exactly. And so that one is I'm gonna try and find a way to fit it into my modern walls deck oh yeah because that one the only creature in my the only four creatures in my deck that i will not be able to use that on are my uh wall of denials yeah because that's shroud because of shroud yeah now we do want to discuss one other card real quick when we talk about our featured cards this is an enchantment from the dissension set it is called palliation accord and it has whenever a creature an opponent controls become tapped Put a shield counter on Palliation Accord, and then you can remove a shield counter from Palliation Accord to prevent the next one damage that will be dealt to you this turn. We want to point out that these shield counters are not the same. Now, I don't have the official rulings from Wizards yet, as the set just released, or excuse me, we didn't even release it yet as, this, as of this recording. Excuse me, we got, uh, we just finished up pre-release, and we did get the release notes on the set, 
but to the best of my understanding, palliation accord will be errated to have a different kind of counter so that the two counters will not be confused. But if you see palliation accord from dissension, it is the enchantment costs three generic white blue. So of course it's in similar colors that would work for this. Uh, it is not the same kind of shield counter. So please just be aware of that. The dominant colors, as we've already talked about, mm -hmm. blue, white, and green. Uh, th those are the colors for the brokers of New Capenna, and th that's where you're going to find the shield counters. They are not in black, not in, uh, not in red, and really, we don't have any artifacts necessarily, non-colored artifacts that give us shield counters, but... I don't, I'm not going to say that there won't be any in the future. There may be some. I mean, people seem to like shield counters. Brokers was a rather popular family picked at pre-release. In fact, I think it was Riveteers, Brokers, and then maybe Maestros. There weren't too much Obscura or... No, I'm sorry. Uh, Cabaretti was also really popular. So probably Maestros and Obscura were the least popular, but Riveteers, Brokers, and Cabaretti were all extremely popular decks. As we've already kind of discussed, too, the featured decks, there's clearly a shield counter deck that can be built in the New Capenna Limited. Oh, yeah. Now, we have not released the set yet, so... Still we, need to buy my box. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably be doing that this Friday. I'll probably talk to John and yeah. talk to our LGS and see if I can... So, we don't know if there's necessarily going to be a shield counters deck... And quite frankly, I don't think there will be. No. I just, I don't think the cards that we have that get shield counters, I don't think they're good enough to really compete in the current standard, and definitely not modern by any means. However, I'm not going to say that a couple cards won't work their way in. Because again, I could see Boon of Safety becoming a standard card, Oh, yeah. You know, putting a shield it, counter. It's, it's yeah. protection. It, it's exactly. instant speed protection. Or I could see this coming into the uh, the Winota, Naya Winota deck for mm -hmm. Pioneer mm -hmm. as a little bit of protection if you can s sacrifice a couple creatures from your deck instead and maybe put in two copies of Boon of Safety. Let's you scry, lets you filter out some of those lands that might come up on top so you can guarantee to hit. And you get a shield counter on your Winota, so they can't get removed. Or or even your uh, your non-human creatures. See, I'm looking at this, the contractual safeguard. Uh, but this is a commander card. Well, I'm looking at it for legacy. Okay. Um, for uh, contractual safeguard, uh, it's an instant. Has It costs two generic and a white. And it has addendum. Uh, if you cast this spell during your... Uh, main phase, put a shield counter on target creature you control. And it also has choose a kind of counter on a creature you control, put a counter of that kind on each other creature you control. That might work. I don't know. I I think it's a little too slow and needing three white. White weenies. Maybe. And mono white weenies, you might be able to pull that off and just... Well, I guess that gets into a bigger a bigger conversation about legacy because you got to remember that 30% of the meta is... is so literally one-third to, depending on the event, half of the decks you will face will be Is It Delver, and they will just be too fast for this. True. But I agree with you. How about this? Casual Legacy. Yes, if you're not playing overly competitive, high-powered Legacy, yes, I think you're right. I think that's a good card. Hey, I, I found out how to put a shield counter on my uh, walls, no. uh, on my wall of denial. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. Not allowed. Yes. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with the rules. It doesn't work with the rules? Oh, really? <laughs> okay, me being a judge, I must say, yes, it does work with the rules because it doesn't target the wall of denial, so you are able to put a shield on it Yay. using that spell. Yes, because you are correct. Because it says each creature, not target. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> Begrudgingly. Yay. I need to buy that pre-con. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about playing with shield counters or playing against shield counters. Now, Chris, you, you were able to attend pre-release one mm -hmm. night. You played a broker's deck with, with shield counters. I played one as well on night two, but I also played against... Actually, we ended up playing against each other on night one, where you had your, your broker's deck, I had my riveteer's deck. So I'll tell you what, you talk about what, it, what are the good things you need to remember if you're playing with shield counters... 
I'll talk about playing against Shield. Alrighty, sounds good. Um, now, I'm a little biased with this because, like I said at the top of the episode, I am very used to these colors. I am very used to playing very defensively. And this just... It was a way that I could actually go defensive aggro. Like, it yeah, was... Yeah, I would say that's true. It yeah. was a lot of protection. Um, when you're playing with it, um, if you have the right cards and the right setup, do not hesitate to go to be aggressive. Um, yeah. You can actually afford to kind of overreach a little bit with your creatures if they have shield counters on it because you do have that wiggle room of that shield counter as protection. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you have the boon of safety for instant speed shield counters, um, I think I had like, uh, I had two copies of it. Okay. I had two copies of boon of safety. Almost every game, I think, I played a boon of safety at some point just to put a shield counter on something. At one point, I had three shield counters on one thing. That's a good way to go. <laughs> and uh, so, I, and that one was, I had three shield counters on my undercover operative yeah. as a copy of the defender. And so, um, he and so he entered the battlefield with a counter on it. Yeah. Played boon of safety on him just to put another counter on him because uh, the defender, the original <laughs> defender that I had, um, got destroyed. Mm. So I didn't have enough counters to attack with him. So I put another shield counter on him to hit the threshold. And then I played Titan of Industry later in the game, and he was just still around. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna put a shield counter on him, put three on him, and just. Turn them sideways. Um, you can be aggressive. This um, Disciple Duelist is going to be your very best friend just because of the double strike and the protection. Um, Voice of Vermin also plays very nicely, especially with Disciple Duelist because he can make yeah. Disciple Duelist a 4-4, and with double strike, that's 8 damage. Um, what's another good one? Uh Oh. Well, I like the wing shield agent giving a creature, another creature flying. Mm. That was also really nice. And again, so you're guaranteed you can get in two swings it, as long as they don't have anything that's going to, you know, deal damage to it ahead of time. You can get in two swings with it and give something else flying. So again, your disciplined duelist, you attack with it and the wing shield agent, give the duelist flying. Now they're taking the four damage and there's nothing they can do about it if they don't have any flyers um another good one to play is broker's veteran mm. um because broker's veteran uh has when broker's veteran dies put a shield counter on target creature you control um there was one game that i played where i had my broker's veteran out and i swung in and uh, i swung in with my duelist and my broker's veteran uh, he opted to block and get rid of, he, he opted to chump block, uh, my, uh, duelist because he, if he had, and his exact words, I don't want you to have that shield counter. Yeah. And so I, so with broker veteran, I, I pretty much put my opponent in a predicament of, do I want to block this and give him be able to protect another creature, um, add protection to another creature or, do I want to just eat the two and mm -hmm. not have to deal with that? So you can use shield counters almost, for lack of better words, politically. Yeah, um, I, I agree. If you give, if you, they will, your opponent will most likely choose the lesser of two evils. If you have something like Broker's Veteran and, let's say, Duelist, Duelist. if you swing in with both of those, even if you're, like, if your Duelist still has a shield counter on it, it's either your duelist is going to lose a shield counter or your veteran's going to die and put another put another shield counter onto yeah. your veteran. So it's kind of it puts your opponent into a catch 22. With that being said, you want to play somewhat defensively. Uh, I found that brokers were more mid range. They definitely play the long game as so opposed to you want to up close at the beginning. So at the beginning, you kind of want to not really set the tempo, but kind of set up a little bit uh you want to kind of be a hindrance to your opponents um and you can do that by just playing small little spells um removal stuff like that um and then once you get the mana that you need to kind of get your engine going and start going on the offensive in the mid mid to late game that's where shield creatures with shield counters will shine because 
it'll protect them, especially in like modern and everything mm-hmm. where lightning bolts are still prevalent. So it's going to, instead of a lightning bolt killing your duelist, it's going to take a light, it's going to take minimum two mana. Yeah. For them to take care of... Well, not just two mana, two spells. Two spells, exactly. And that's a big difference. Oh, yeah. That's a huge difference when it comes to the resources that you have and how you allocate them. Absolutely. So, shield counters, if you're playing with it, get as many shield counters as you can onto all of your creatures. It will make your opponent's life a nightmare for that game because they will have to dedicate... They'll have to allocate more resources than usual to just one creature. And so don't be afraid to be aggressive in the mid to late game. And yeah. turning sideways is a good thing in these colors right now. Absolutely. All right, Joe, if you're playing against it. Well, if you're playing against it, my first first thought is you absolutely need to hit them in the early game. If you wait to be aggressive against a shield deck in the mid to late game, exactly what Chris said is going to happen. They're going to get aggressive, and then you have to make choices. And those choices are not going to be fun. You have to deal with... uh, At the end of the day, you have to lean into the fact that they have shield counters. It's kind of like whenever you're going up against a, a permission deck, control deck, you have to go into that game with the understanding that they have counters. They have removal. So at some point... You need to lean into it, and you're not playing. You aren't. You are playing an early aggressive game, and you're trying to be aggressive, and you're trying to chip in that early damage. But you also need to make sure that if you can't close it out in the first couple turns and overwhelm them, which you can. Uh, again, with with Chris and I's game when we were playing, the first game we played, he was able to stabilize long enough that he definitely was able to control the late game. No question. Uh, that, that was game two because game one was, uh, that's that's the one that I scooped because I wasn't getting the Oh, right, mana. okay, right. But yeah, game, game two, I mean, he played the long game. He had enough removal that kept me at bay. No matter how hard I tried, it wasn't happening. I couldn't get through. So he was able to make it through the late game. And once we got to the late game, I was done. There was no way that I had enough removal in order to get rid of his creatures essentially twice. So you have to play the early game. You will not beat them in a long game. Also, when you're when you're going early, you're going to have to just bite the bullet at some point. Shield counters means that you have to kill each creature twice. And again, if you let them stabilize and build up any sort of army on the board, you're going to find yourself in a difficult situation. Bite the bullet, take care of their shield counters early, before they're able to put a lot of creatures with shield counters or multiple shield counters on a single creature. And I guess when you really are looking at how to get rid of those creatures, remember that it's only damage and destruction effects that get rid of shield counters. So yes, when you go head to head and you're going creature on creature, yeah, that's that's going to remove the shield counter instead of dealing. But if you can reduce the creature's toughness to zero. State-based action. Yep, state-based action gets rid of it. If you can give them negative counters, which I know isn't possible right now in standard because there are no negative counter cards, that's fine. But in, I want to say modern, where no, uh, it would be pioneer and modern. Uh, Pioneer has Amonkhet in it, where we, it was the last set with negative one, negative one counters. Mm-hmm. So if you can give them negative one counters, that will help out. Um, if you can exile the creatures, and in fact, in the example of Broker's Veteran, exiling that thing, it didn't die. So you're not going to get mm-hmm. to put a shield counter on target creature you control. So it, you have to find other ways around removing the creatures. But also keep in mind that typically... The way shield deck decks, at least as of now, after going through pre-release, the way they win is playing the long game and overwhelming you with defensive creatures to where you have to make choices. What are you going to destroy? What are you not going to destroy? What can you live with being on the field? What can you not live with? What you What might change down the road is how many of these actually see play. Because, again... Shield counters are slow. Mm -hmm. It is a slow deck. You don't have none, absolutely none of the creatures with shield counters on them 
cost a single mana. They are all two or more. And even then, the only one that costs two is the Broker's Veteran that doesn't have a shield counter, it gives a shield counter. So anything that comes down with a shield counter on it is three or more mana, which is a big hindrance. If you're not able to play a creature with a shield counter until turn three, that's gonna take a while. So you have a lot of ways to work around it. You can definitely beat a shield deck, but it's, it's going to be difficult if you take too long to do it. So choose your battles wisely, make sure you get rid of what needs to be removed, and you'll be okay. And like we said, uses in different formats outside of this. I think some of these, these cards might see play in Pioneer. I don't think any of them will see play in Modern. I think they're too slow. And Legacy, you maybe see Contractual Safeguard. It's a Commander pre-con card. Like you were saying, it might see in casual mm -hmm. Legacy games. Certainly not in high-level competitive oh, no. Legacy games. It, Again, we will not slow. see any. No. But speaking of other formats, um, if you still have your Bant Exalted deck... That's true. This would be a great... Boon of Safety. Boon of Safety might be a great... Especially since you're attacking with just a single creature. Yeah, that's true. Um, Boon of Safety, it's a white to put a shield counter on it so you can protect it even further. And yeah. you get to scry so you can do top deck manipulation a little bit. And based off of what I have, some of them end up with Trample or Double Strike. Actually, that's that's a great idea. Boon of Safety might be a wonderful card. And it might be, might be the way to go for that particular deck. Instead of removing threats that my opponent has or simply buffing my creatures, swap out those cards, put in four copies of Boon of Safety so that I can simply keep the one creature with which I'm attacking around for a lot longer. That or might... even putting it putting shield counters onto all of your onto your other creatures so that you can still get multiple exalted effects. That's true. That might be a great way to so go. So you can either use it as targeted protection or you can use it as group uh, as like strategy protection. That's a good idea. Yeah. But, and I totally just shot myself in the foot with that one. Nah, I still think your walls deck is gonna kick my butt. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hands down, walls are gonna be fun, which reminds me <laughs> I stopped for pre-register but yeah <laughs> that but that's going to be a topic for a later yeah later show but so that kind of takes care of the our, our thoughts on shield counters and all the information we have on that so i guess let, let's talk about our experiences with new capenna oh like all right so not gonna lie i didn't i only looked at a couple of spoilers but okay. nothing like not like i did for you know some of the past sets right I just, like, a little bit before pre-release, that's whenever I kind of looked through some mm -hmm. of it. And I was, like, most interested in the brokers because my Again, colors. the colors, yeah. Um, but I was, like, looking through some of them, and, I mean, there are some really, like, there are some cards in there that I would really love to play around with. Mm -hmm. uh, the one draw spell where it's, like, if it if your opponent's drawn four or more cards, so the card, I can't remember the name. Um, I think it's a mythic, so where are you? Yeah. Yes. Uh, even the score. It's a instant, and it costs X, blue, blue, blue. And it has, this spell costs blue, blue, blue less. If a opponent has drawn four more cards this turn, draw X cards. So what I'm thinking is, like, I have a couple of blue commander decks. Mm -hmm. How often do, do people draw four cards a turn? You know... There are some times when someone, depending on who you're playing, like someone might be able to draw like a fistful of cards, right? Maybe, but I I don't know. In in my experience, my Orvar deck can. I mean, that, that can replace itself pretty quick. Most of my decks, though, don't draw four. However, I could see that being a, a thing. Oh, yes. So he's pointing at Luxior Giada's Gift. So go ahead. All right. So Luxior <laughs> Giada's Gift. It's a legendary artifact equipment. It costs one. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. Equipped planeswalker for one and equip for three. So you play that and you can turn, essentially turn your planeswalkers into creatures. Yay, we get more Gideons. That's just what our rules people want. Well, <laughs> I, well I mean, Sarkin also made, uh, Sarkin made planeswalkers into dragons. That's different. But Gideon is also in Because it's, it's every Gideon. That's his deal. 
every Gideon can turn into a creature. That's not that, that's not the point of this of this discussion. Luxior is is a good a good card. Um, I pulled one in my prize packs from from uh, Friday night, and yeah, it's gonna go in my Atraxa Planeswalker. Yeah. Well, I kind of want one for because I have tempted to rebuild my Chandra deck. My Chandra, oh, okay. my Chandra Mono Red Super Friends. Yeah. Throw that in there just for the fun, just for fun, just because there's one uh, Chandra in there that uh, put a put a loyalty counter on each. Uh, her, it's a zero zero active zero. Its ability costs zero, and mm-hmm. it's put a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. Right. So, uh, sorry, each red planeswalker you control. So. I could easily, and it's for each counter, so you can put other counters onto your Planeswalker mm-hmm. because it's a creature, so you can put Lifelink, Trample, First Strike, Vigilance, Death Touch, anything you want on it, and it's just going to, on top of adding you know, all of that wonderful stuff, Yeah, it's also going to be making it bigger. And I was, and I think we actually talked about this during our game on Friday, about Urbrask being on New Capena. Yes. So... In Kaldheim, we had Vorinclex. In uh, Neon Dynasty, we had Jenkataxia. And now in Streets of New Capenna, we have Urbrask. Those are three of the five Praetors. Uh, as of right now, Elish Norn, who is the white one, um, she's kind of, we believe that she's going to be kind of played up as the big bad evil guy, so she's not really going to leave New Phyrexia. But, so we believe that somewhere down the line in one of the next sets, the next but it'll probably be a year or two down the road, mm-hmm. but because we're we're doing what Dominaria, yeah, yeah. So at best, Dominaria United will be the the bad guy. Will be like maybe Elishnorn, maybe Shieldred. At best, all right, but uh, probably not. Probably not. I imagine they'll wait until next year to put another Praetor in. You know, but yeah, hopefully down the road we're going to see new Phyrexia, which yeah. would be cool. And Joe, do you want to talk about one of the controversial cards? Which one? Bootlegger Stash. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Bootlegger's Stash for a little bit. All right, so with, with my... I, I really like the mechanics behind New Capenna. I am not so much a fan of the flavor. Like, the, the 1930s mobster scene, okay, whatever, fine. If that's how, what you're going to use to get us the, the mechanics that we have, I really like the... Well, I, I like all the mechanics. Blitz is my, probably my favorite, mm-hmm. just because I like playing low-to-the-ground aggressive decks, especially at pre-releases. That mm-hmm. seems to be what wins. So I, I like all the mechanics. I think they're really cool. I think they're really interesting. One of the cards that we did see was Bootlegger's Stash. Now, believe it or not, the second night, Saturday night, I pulled a Bootlegger's Stash in my, my sealed kit. All right. What I didn't realize at the time until I actually played somebody else. There are <laughs> there are major themes for the three colors, all right? And then there are minor archetypes for two color pairs. And if you really pay attention, really pay attention, red green has a treasures theme. Uh-huh. Which I did not realize at first. Oh, I caught on to it with three cards. Oh. Mm. And that was the treasure dog, the treasure stash, and then the uh, one where uh, it's red, green. Lizard. Oh, the enchantment where you sack a, cre- sack a treasure and create a citizen. No. Oh, it, okay. It's the creature where he gets plus one, plus one. Unless you sack a uh, treasure, oh. he gets a plus one, plus, plus one, one counter. Plus one counter, right. See, and, and I saw that, and I'm thinking, because one of the things that I tried to do with Friday night's pre-release was create a lot of treasures. But my initial thought was, okay, treasures are going to be a way to mana fix, which, great, because I think that is something else New Capenna did really well. You never felt like it was difficult to cast a three-color spell. Yeah. At the same time, you never felt like it was difficult to cast a three-colored spell. And there should be a little bit of difficulty there, right? We're going to get to those cards as well, the, the nice exile mana fix. Um, with Bootlegger's Stash... In hindsight, I wish I would have played my deck a different way on Saturday, realizing I I went up against one other player who did capitalize on the treasures theme. And he used an enchantment that it was, I forget the name of it, it was two generic and a, a red and a green. And it enabled him, when he cast it, you create 
Stimulus package. When it enters the battlefield, you create two treasure tokens. Now, that's a terrible rate. Terrible rate. And then you can sacrifice a treasure to create a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. Now, he started creating a bunch of treasures, sacrificing them to stimulus packet to create citizen tokens. Then there is a white rare enchantment called Rabble Rousing, which whenever you attack with one or more creatures, create that many 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. It also has Hideaway, which we'll talk about Hideaway on another episode. But the important part is that he was able to create more creature token. So with him being able to simply sacrifice treasure, if he had a reliable treasure makers, which he did, and then he was able to create a bunch of creatures using that rabble rousing, and he had another green card that enabled him to gain a life anytime a creature entered the battlefield, all of a sudden, he actually had a really good engine that eventually, I was at, I think, still 12 life, and I just looked at him and went, I, I can't beat your value. It's so amazingly put together, and it worked out really well, that there's just no way, it doesn't matter what I do, I could keep smacking him and smacking him, it wasn't going to change. So I really like that there are, there are subtle themes within the actual set itself. Um, Black Red has a nice sacrifice theme that's going on to it. Um, Bootlegger Stash in particular, I do plan to hang on to that and put it in a commander deck at some point because I think that it has a better home there simply because, because it costs five Judge. generic and a green. But I think it's still a great card. Uh, and it, its ability is lands you control have tap, create a treasure token. It's an artifact. Yes. All right. Got a, inter got a rules interaction question for you. Okay. All right. So with the new, like, family auto-fetch lands, it says, all right, uh, has it pretty much has a the lands have a ATB effect sacrifice uh, when it enters the battlefield sacrifice it if you have bootlegger stash it come the the lands come into play untapped and can you uh, trigger can you order the triggers to where you can tap it because you don't have to sacrifice you don't have to tap and sacrifice the like auto fetches so can you tap it to create a treasure and then sacrifice it that is a great question. We're going to pause here for just a moment while I go find that information. So from what I can tell, when the sacrifice trigger for Broker's Safe House goes onto the stack, you do have a chance to respond, and while you're maintaining priority, you could tap the Broker's Safe House using the Bootlegger's Stash ability to create a treasure token. And keep in mind... Again, if I understand this correctly, and I'm pretty sure I do, this only works because lands are not affected by summoning sickness. So you can still go ahead and use that activated ability because it doesn't cost anything to add it. The land doesn't come into play tapped, so you can still tap it, create the treasure token. That ability will go off on the stack, and then the sacrifice trigger goes off on the stack. So yeah, it should work. Yay! I that's, figured it. I I saw an interaction. The that's, judge that's did it. That's pretty clever. Yeah. Oh, please. That's not hard to do. Well, um, well, the whole reason. <laughs> yeah, you're why, right. Yeah. The reason why I thought about that was because of the discussion that we had uh, before the before we started recording with mm -hmm. uh, with all the new lands and everything because there was just so much value in those. Yeah. Because you get you automatically get a land, so yeah, it helps out landfall decks. You gain life, which it's. All it costs you is your land drop for the turn, and you gain a life. But you also get to kind of slowly ramp because mm -hmm. it comes into play tapped. But with Bootlegger Stash, you can kind of take advantage of ordering triggers. Yeah. Uh, to where you can play the land, tap it, create a treasure, sack it, sacrifice the, the auto fetches. Yeah. Grab what you want, shuffle, gain a life. So you get to play a land. Get a treasure. Get a treasure. Drop another land, uh, find the land, find the land that you need, and then gain a life. Yeah, so well, granted, that's only a bootlegger stash is out on the field, but yeah, that's that's. But, but that's I mean, true. E even without bootlegger stash, yeah. you're still getting a lot of value off oh, of yeah. a single land. Well, and I guess if I had a complaint about the set, I do think several of the cards are a little pushed, and it definitely demonstrates the power creep that is present in this set. I think one of the best examples of that is a card called Jewel Thief. Yeah. Jewel Thief is a cat rogue. It's a 3-3 for two generic and a green. It has Vigilance, Trample, 
and when Jewel Thief enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Can, can I tell the kicker? Can I tell the kicker? Sure. It's common. It's at common, yes. Now, there was a time where a 3-3-4-3 three, three, three with either Vigilance or Trample would be amazing. But to have both, and then you get a treasure token on top of it. Jewel Thief was one of the most popular cards at pre-release. It was also one of the most frustrating to play around. That vigilance, the trample, and the treasure token. I had two of them, two of them in my deck, and uh, if I didn't have the defender on the field, guess what else got the shield counter? Yeah, jewel thief because I, the thing just. Oh, all right. So I have one thing to say. I have like one negative thing to say about Streets of New Capenna. Okay. May I? Yes. And that is social climber. This is the one that got me the Saturday night where he was gaining a bunch of life. Well, yeah. the only reason why I don't like Social Climber is because it is too much like Faithlix, like the... All the art for, yeah. The the archive art for mm-hmm. Faithless Looting. It just, for some reason, it just doesn't really seem to fit into magic and it just kind of irks me a little bit. Yeah. Like, I even showed my wife that card and she went... You yeah because it just yeah. and now my wife is also like kind of a digital artist and she hates faithless looting with a passion because it just doesn't look like a magic card and then I showed her that one and yeah it's now in the pile of yeah you um but other than that like this set is absolutely beautiful another one of my favorite cards that actually did a lot of work gilded pinions giving something flying and creating the treasure token yeah yeah I, I mean if you have if you have three mana, mm-hmm. uh, if you have three mana available to you, pay two, play Gilded Pinions. You get a treasure token. Well, guess what? It doesn't come into play tapped like some of the other mm-hmm. uh, some of the other cards do. Um, so you can easily use that treasure and your remaining mana. Put Gilded Pinion, equip Gilded Pinions to uh, your uh, Disciple Duelist, and now you have a two-one double striker in the air. Yeah. That won me a couple of games. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, this set is absolutely beautiful. I don't like... Uh, so, the limousine vehicle? Yeah, that there, one. There, like I said, there are some, some tropes that I don't think are exactly great for Magic the Gathering as a whole. And, and as I said, I, I'm not a huge fan of the mobster trope that goes along with it. But outside of the theme, I think they did a nice job to craft a set that is balanced, has some very clear, easy-to-understand mechanics that you can follow and craft a deck around. There are some sub-themes that if you really dig into them a little bit more, you can get a lot of value out of them. The mana fixing was fantastic so that you could get your colors that you needed when you needed them. Uh, they gave us five three-color cards that have two, exile the card, and target land gains add one of the three family colors, and then you can eventually cast the card, the creature card, for its mana value, and it becomes a creature on the battlefield. I thought they did a great job with so much with the set. I'm just disappointed in the the flavor because uh, i think they could have done something much better or different i know a lot of people really like the flavor and they were really excited about it and that's one of the things that gets people there so i know i can't have it every way but as far as a mechanics set goes i really like it i think it's a lot of fun i think it's going to be maybe not quite on par with neon dynasty because neon dynasty was that that was a home run they, they oh, yeah. nailed it there that was fantastic but new capenna I think they have another great set that is innovative in a way that goes outside the box just enough to give us something new, something fresh, without going too outside the box to where we don't understand, like Ikoria, where we, where you know, it takes yeah. a, it takes half an hour to explain one of the mechanics, you know. All right, so another good thing that I like that I liked about this set, especially during pre-release, was the fact that. Each of the families had legendary creatures. Yeah. Now I'm thinking in a commander mindset, legendary creatures that have hybrid mana in their mana cost. Um, 
For instance, there's Rigo, Streetwise Mentor. He's a legendary creature, cat citizen. He's a 2-2. And his uh, cost is a Celesnia hybrid, so green-white hybrid, white, and white-blue hybrid. So you can either pay a combination of all white for him or two white and a blue, two white and a green, etc., etc. Like, you have multiple options to cast mm-hmm. all of those creatures. And it's just so nice, especially from, like, my point of view, like, my, like, commander brewing brain, that it just, even though your commander is a, has those three colors, you can take it in whichever direction you want, and you don't have to just have somewhat of an equal spread through all the colors. You can favor two rather than three, or even you can just, you could even play him as... Even though he's three colors, you can just play him as like a mono white deck. You could. And he would still work. Yeah. So like all of those, plus another good thing, they finished the triumph cycle, even though they aren't called triumphs. Yeah. So we, so with uh, Ikoria, we got the uh, wedge triumphs. And in New Capenna, we got the shard triumph. Uh, each one of them have their own different names they aren't called triumphs but they are still tricycles so they still have cycle for three and they are three land types yep so we finally have those we've been wanting them and so i think that will wrap up this episode of our first thoughts on new capenna and shield counters joe do you have anything else no i mean just go out play enjoy it and we'll get back to you in a future episode with another one of the mechanics from streets of new capenna All right, and with that, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. And you can also do so on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at mtgunderthehood. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you next time. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Stay tuned.